0: Welcome to Arguments with Words, the podcast where prop tech and mortgage leaders meet to talk marketing, branding, and the future of real estate. Now here's your host, Neil Helsper.
1: Welcome to the show. Today we have Gary Chance from Prescriptive Data. Gary,
0: thanks for joining. Happy to be here and thanks for inviting me.
1: Yeah. First, just tell
0: us what the
1: company does and what problems you guys are trying to solve in the space.
0: Sure. So we are a artificial intelligence platform for smart buildings focused on carbon emission reduction. So what does that mean? There are a lot of ways for real estate owners to reduce their energy use and carbon emissions, including building retrofits like new windows, including new building management systems. Um, They can install things called distributed energy resources, such as battery technology or solar on rooftops, things like that, or even buy and procure renewable energy from the utilities company. What makes us special and unique is that we focus on using real-time data from the building, specifically it's meters. So it's electric meters, steam meters, gas meters, real-time occupancy from the building data. So how many people are in the building per floor, per zone, as well as indoor air quality data to automate the building using AI to reduce energy use, mostly through HVAC systems. So the easiest way to think about that is never waste energy, money, our carbon emissions on an unoccupied space. So that's sort of our focus and what makes us special.
1: The real-time occupancy feature seems really smart now given that like every every company's kind of forging its own path and like how often are people in the office? Is it Tuesday through Thursday? Is it every other day? And I imagine that in a big building that that's that's even varying a lot by floor. So you, that seems like right on trend for you guys to be tackling that since it's something that like is changing every every day.
0: So Back when, I guess, COVID first started in March of 2020, uh, when basically the mandate went out in New York State, um, where a lot of our customers have to be based and where our company's based, um, to basically stay home. I think it was March 13th to that date, or that Friday. Mm-hmm. We were actually able to share occupancy research across buildings in New York City to show to basically the New York City government, as well as the New York State government, that people were listening to those orders and staying home as well. And then we put a bunch of reports out afterwards around the energy use of buildings during COVID and how they were still using a ton of energy, even though they're empty. Um, but yes, occupancy data is super important today, especially for tracking uh, return to work efforts. That's an
1: interesting use of the technology to sort of comply with regulations or a government mandate. What, In terms of what's initiating your clients', your clients interest in the space, how much of it is... The need to meet regulations, how much of it is a desire to get ahead of green initiatives and wanting to be more sustainable? What's the need that your customer has, or where are they in that kind of thinking?
0: Sure. So we're at an interesting time. It's almost 2024. And in 2024, a lot of laws are going to start around energy usage and carbon emissions for real estate owners in a number of cities and states across the United States. So, an example would be a law in New York City called Local Law 97 which basically says that you have a set carbon threshold per building over 20,000 square feet. And if you go over that threshold per year, you're going to pay X number of fines per metric ton of carbon. So there are laws like that being passed not only in New York, but Bordeaux in Boston, BEPS in Washington, D.C., St. Louis, Denver in the state of Colorado, Seattle, as well as the state of Washington and across the country, and more and more sort of being put into place. But legislative push towards carbon neutrality and carbon emission reduction goals is definitely a big driver in terms of the risk management within commercial real estate, as real estate is a business of risk management at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And you've talked a lot. We talked previously about your belief in kind of a marketing approach and kind of like building tribes and finding people who, you know, believe what you believe. How does that, you know, fit into the sustainability message and how has that kind of affected your approach at prescriptive data?
0: Yeah. So my team spends a lot talking about behavioral science and, and something I think we'll, we'll talk about later on um, in our conversation. Um, but this whole idea is that humans come from, uh, 10,000 years ago, we're a tribe-based society. And a lot of those tribal mannerisms, whether it be neurologically, whether it be socially and just general context, have stuck with us today. Right? Yeah. So a good example of that, your family is your or tribe you belong to the religion you subscribe to is a tribe you belong to, and that affects your beliefs. It goes down to what computer or phone you tend uh, tend to use, right? Are you a Mac or Windows person? Are you an iPhone or Android person? So those types of tribes are sort of what, at the end of the day, we believe marketers are focused on sort of meeting and finding. So we believe brand equals tribe. So in terms of basically our marketing and how we define the identity of our company, That's super important for marketers today, especially when we talk about prop tech and sustainability. So at Prescriptive Data, we've defined our tribe as real estate executives who have similar beliefs, executives who specifically believe that utilizing real-time data, because buildings have a ton of data, buildings are controlled by mechanical systems, and that we should use that data in artificial intelligence, machine learning to both optimize and provide insights around what's happening in the built world. That is our tribe. People who believe that the future of real estate is through digital automation, as well as digital AI-based insights. Stepping aside, right, sustainability is sort of our mission and what we're driven to do, what we're passionate about, but also what provides the ROI. Energy reduction equals energy cost savings, utility cost savings, and so on. But our tribe itself are those individuals who believe that the next level or step within commercial real estate and its natural evolution is around utilizing data and artificial intelligence.
1: That's really interesting, that kind of combination of like, you know, it is about data, it's about technology, but that insight being based on the very, like the primitive human mind, that's an interesting like contradiction between or like paradox between those two ideas. And I totally understand what you're saying. Like, it's weird that the kind of uh, fan bases behind like iPhone and Android is such a tribal thing. But if you think about it as being innate to the human experience, that makes a lot more sense. Like on paper, people shouldn't be so passionate about using an Android phone, but like those people are really passionate. That's, that's interesting.
0: It's absolutely true in terms of everyone's day-to-day life. Yeah. But I think it's also underutilized within the world of B2B marketing. Yeah. Which is, I think the, the oldest idiom around it is the IBM's old, like no one ever got fired for buying IBM, right? Yeah, This whole right. idea of like that it was a safe place to be and safety being a core moniker within B2B sales and why people buy things and and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a great, like, I think you're right. The most B2B marketing is driven by risk aversion, not by like an attempt to attract a very specific kind of person, right? It's, that's why it feel, why a lot of it feels so safe and so, Uncontroversial and yeah, that desire to just be like a safe choice. You have what I think is a really interesting background in real estate. Can you tell us kind of like how you got to prescriptive data and some of the experiences that led to that?
0: Sure. So I've worked in real estate pretty much my entire adult life. Um, I worked in the technology department of a New York City residential owner, operator, and developer all through my summers in college, Um, and then my one of my first jobs out of college was at Biznow Media. Then a DC based events company focusing a little bit on real estate and initially, many, many years ago, I was I was hired to do market expansion, run events, understand what's happening, what are the trends within each of those markets and launch new markets with support from writers creating content with sales reps and things like that, but my interest has always been in digital media and sort of digital marketing. And in college, I created something called West Menus at Wesleyan University, which was basically the early Grubhub for basically students to buy food. And that's always been my passion. And my about a year into my career biz now, I started creating this publication called The Morning Brief, where I would basically do my day job and then work on The Morning Brief from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., curating the latest news and specifically then New York City and Chicago. And my goal there was to design the perfect CMO marketers product, a place where they could have that single, single voice or share voice display ad, where they could embed what was then new native advertising in terms of text links and so on. And the popularity of that product basically sort of propelled my career where I became head of digital for BizNow. Um, So while at BizNow Media, my focus was to meet real estate marketers and CMOs from across the real estate industry and then design products that effectively met their goals. So we launched our first ever real-time lead product where someone who advertised at BizNow could see not only their real-time metrics across content views and display ads, but also who clicked it, who was their target audience, and where was it being met and reached, and basically being able to deliver that back to their sales team effectively. I also ran their sponsored content division and worked with hundreds of real estate marketers um, to create content marketing and publish and distribute that, or started BizNow TV, their video product. And after that company was acquired back in 2016, I left and a few months later, um, ended up at an amazing company called Disrupt CRE, uh, where basically Disrupt CRE, if you're unfamiliar with them, is a media and events company focused on what's disrupting commercial real estate today. And I guess one of my roles there as head of strategy and digital was to create the TED Talks of real estate disruption. Mm -hmm. What are the companies and things that are basically changing real estate forever and disrupting the entire industry? And my main goal there was specifically around meeting owners to understand what technologies and needs they, they had at the time. Meeting... Prop tech companies and helping them market themselves in an effective way, and then working with VCs to sort of predict the next one, two, five years of the entire industry. And that's where I originally met prescriptive data, where I am today. And here we are, four and a half years later. And so far, there I, I'm head of marketing at Prescriptive Data. I run everything from our demand generation, um, sales, ops um, sits under me, as well as sort of our SDR team in terms of sales development and outreach, as well as partnerships. So. It's been a a cool four and a half years, and it's interesting to sit on sort of the other side of the table, going from sort of the media outlet side to the in house side.
1: Yeah. When you, I'm so impressed with that like morning brief experience where like you, it's like you created that thing out of thin air on kind of on your own time because you were, was that like an assignment that somebody gave you, or you're just like, I see an opportunity for this and I'm going to make this?
0: No, it's definitely something that I saw and I found. I've kind of made a career off of taking things that exist in the B2C world and bringing them to B2B, but that was something that made a ton of sense. That was back when BuzzFeed and their founder's amazing thesis, if you haven't read it, on what makes content go viral was sort of a big part of our philosophy for me and the CEO then of BizNow. And then taking that and understanding our, the latest trends, native advertising, right? How do we incorporate that type of content around our media? And then also, how do we be the best at distributing ROI to our customers? And that's something that I'm very passionate about now in terms of B2B marketing. ROI as well as risk is the two pretty much most meaningful things that you can deliver to a customer.
1: What would you say now that you're at prescriptive, you've been at prescriptive data, what are some of the biggest like marketing or branding challenges that you've worked
0: through? I'll phrase it this way. What are the three biggest things that I think I've learned over the last four and a half years? I think that's uh, a kind of interesting way to look at it. The first is convincing an executive team that brand matters versus performance. And I think that's something that marketers talk a lot about. I think there's a ton of articles about that. Brand being sort of this longer term initiative of identifying yourself within a market and basically having that identity that people can align with versus performance hitting your quarterly goals, right? How many leads did we generate? How many of those leads that we convert into MQLs? How many of those MQLs do we convert into meetings? How many of those meetings went to demo? How many of those demos went to opportunity? So on and so forth. And that has been an interesting, interesting sort of path and trying to teach and show the executive team that that's useful and interesting. My best example of why content has been so powerful for us, and it goes back to sort of the behavioral science stuff. It's this whole idea of what makes a company sort of want to work with you want to trust you, want to fight for you within their organization and sort of delivering content around research, for example, right? Showing your customer that you can solve the problems that they face. You understand them and you have the solution for it. Then you have awards and case studies, right? Showing people that you are trusted within the industry, that you're accredited, that other people have done their homework on you and think highly of you. And then you have the, sort of the other stuff, the press, the events, the videos, the the podcasts, all this other stuff which is basically telling everyone that the industry thinks your story is worth covering. And all of that sort of builds this sort of safety net of trust that, hey, we're here. We're we're super focused on this mission. We're here to support you and we'll be around for a while. And I think that sort of brand lens versus the typical day-to-day performance side has had a lot of really interesting sort of caveats to our, our team. The, the two quick examples that I would sort of bring up are at some of our events, seeing the sort of dream customers who've come to our booth just to say hi, to sit down, and have an hour chat, to put their bag down while they speak on a panel so for yeah. our executive team to witness that. Awesome. And say like, All right, you're building trust. And I think the other side of it is customers or potential customers we met months ago, 12 months, six months, 17 months, 18 months ago, who've now come back and said, hey, I'm ready like it's because of that weekly effort and brand that we've sort of put together that we stick to, right? So yeah. I think that's been an interesting thing. I think the other thing that I, I think, there's two more, I guess, the, the things I've learned, account-based marketing has a ton of shortcomings that no one talks about. Mm. Specifically, or the best example would be, let's just say your team says, here are my 100 top clients and I'm going to focus all of our efforts on meeting them. You end up missing some of those other clients who might not be on your list who are ready to buy from you today. And if you're a small team with a small budget, how do you align for that and so on? So we've been playing around with a few things like intent marketing and intent-based content and stuff like that and intent scoring. Um, But I think that's one thing that our team has been excited to tackle and realize early on in the process is I brought account-based marketing to Prescriptive Data four and a half years ago. But then, then the last thing that I think we've learned most importantly is that the offer you make is everything. The offer when you go to a client and basically sit down and talk with them, how you present, how you build that collateral and the offer and that last page of why we need to get started today, that's everything. And that's what can affect sales cycles. That's what can affect your sort of day-to-day performance marketing plan. And that should be backed by behavioral science.
1: What are your like best practices or what's your takeaway for creating that offer? Like what's what are the keys?
0: I think fundamentally, it is if you start from the top, right? Yeah. Which is from the behavioral science perspective, zoom out of prop tech, zoom out of any industry, just B2B marketing, B2B sales, right? Someone buying a product is basically a part of immediately two tribes career wise. They have their corporate tribe, the company in which they represent. And then they also have sort of their personal family tribe, right? Their career growth, where they're trying to be. So those are the lens or frames that someone, the b2b world is looking at their perspective and then from there what are their challenges what are their risks right when i want to buy a new marketing technology for the company i face the exact same challenges right there's a lot of risk the product might take too many resources to integrate or operate the product might not work there might not be the rois there right there's all this sort of safety and risk assessment that's being done was, is this worth my time? Is this worth me fighting for internally? Is this worth all the other things that we have going on internally? So then from that, what does, I guess, the perfect B2B solution look like, right? Thinking it again through a marketing or rather decision science, behavioral science lens. It has to deliver sort of that tribe's dream outcome, your tribe members' dream outcome. What are they looking to achieve? You have to show them exactly how you're going to achieve it and that that outcome that they're dreaming of is likely. You have to let them know that that outcome is going to occur quickly, as quickly as humanly possible. And then it also has to have as little effort on that customer's side as possible. If it's going to take the entire team two months to integrate something, it's sort of not a good bet. Beyond that, the ROI of that product needs to hopefully be 10x or more of the actual cost you're paying for. And then also, I think most importantly, that B2B product has to make that person look like an absolute rock star to the rest of their team. they putting their career on the line. You have to basically help your champions look amazing, whether that be through the actual product integration or doing things on the customer success side, like providing reports and so on. After that, all right, so you have all that. You have the perfect B2B product. What's next? You got to build your tribe. And that's where we talked about content, the press, the awards, sort of this idea that you stand for something. You have a vision, which is for us data, should be used through automation and insights to provide business outcomes on a consistent basis. And then you have to get people to act. And that's where we get to the offer, right? So I know long sort of story, but I think that reference point's important to, that's the story you sort of need to tell and understand to get to the offer. And it's basically, we deliver X outcome with Y ROI for you. We're going to make you look great to your peers. We're going to make your company innovative and then zero risk. An example would be like cancel any time or something like that. Scarcity. We only have the resources to work with so many customers, right? And then urgency. We only have this many spots open. We're only taking on this many customers at a time as an example. And then there are other things you can throw in there like guarantees, right? If we don't hit this metric, then you pay nothing. And that's when other business models within the energy space come into play. If we don't save you dollars, then you pay nothing, things like that. And then there are bonuses that you offer internal university courses education events things like that that you can offer to sort of sweeten the deal that's the typical but wait there's more sort of stuff but all of that sort of fits into sort of designing this we are a trusted company we are very good at this we're obsessed with our customer we're obsessed with your outcomes this is all we think about all day long and this is how we're going to make it as easy as possible for you to work with us
1: that's really brilliant gary i mean i love the like the number of psychological triggers that you're addressing with that. And I really like the kind of the combination of risk like addressing risk aversion, but also telling people that like this will make you look like a rock star. It's kind of like the safety of choosing IBM with the payoff of choosing a more audacious choice. But that's not risky to you. That's a brilliant pairing of those ideas.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, right? It's like it takes a lot to bring a new technology. There's the budget assessment and the CFO work. There are the other stakeholders, there are all the other initiatives going on. There's only so many dollars to be spent. Then once it's there and we buy it, then you gotta get it working. And then you gotta bring in all the other stakeholders, make sure they're happy and so on. So there's just a lot of effort that goes into the B2B space. And I believe as marketers, it's our job to work with their internal teams to make sure that they understand that's how people buy, but also externally as we're building our tribe, stay focused on this is our story. This Mm -hmm. is what we're all about. We may not be for you. And I think that's the hardest thing to possibly say is that our product may not be for you. But for those that it is for, we're here for you and, and let's move forward.
1: I love that. Yeah, you don't necessarily see that a lot historically in B2B, like maybe we're not right. Like that's right. That's like anathema to B2B marketing. You want to be for everybody traditionally. But yeah, it's much smarter to focus on that tribe. I mean you have spent like the majority of your career in real estate, is there something about real estate or prop tech that keeps you coming back? Like, is there something, like what is it about this space that gets you like excited to get up in the morning?
0: I think originally it was sort of that driving motivation about this industry that I've been in. I started in the technology side and I've sort of made my way through the media marketing side of it. But real estate itself is sort of slow to adopt new technologies. And there's a million reasons for that. I think the simplest way of looking at it is Real estate's one of the oldest industries in human history. It's been around forever. People have been consistently making money off of it at a specific return for forever. So why take the risk in terms of adopting new technologies? I think that's the the biggest moniker or reason for it. I think that's changed over the last 10, 15 years a lot, but that's sort of where it sits. So pushing forward in the industry, I think was when I first started and when I was at Disrupt CRE, that's what drives me. I think today as you had sent over this question and I was sort of thinking about it, what, what gets me most excited when I wake up in the morning? It's applying some of the things that are happening in the academic world of marketing to prop tech. And whether we're the first to do so or not, that's not necessarily important. But an example in terms of how does someone get into behavioral science? How do you start learning about this? I think once you open the door, you'll see that this is something being used by all of the top B2C agencies across the planet. And then once you start one book, it goes to two. So I remember three years ago, I started off with like Decoded by Phil. That led me to Alchemy by Rory Sutherland, the head of Ogilvy UK. That led me to The Choice Factory by Richard Shutt. 30 books later, right now, I'm reading For the Culture by Marcus Collins, which I also highly recommend. So for me, what gets me up in the morning is sitting down with my team, making them read this stuff too, and seeing what they come up with and seeing how we can put this stuff to practice and use in real time. Because I think this stuff can become a competitive advantage. And and that's something we talk about a lot within the marketing scope of things. Eight years ago, my competitive advantage, I think I was one of the first users of Apollo to put together leads. Now, everyone has Apollo, Seamless AI, Clearbit, whatever it may be. It's sort of common stake in terms of lead generation. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what is your team's sort of competitive edge within the space and building and working towards that then that's what sort of gets me really excited. It's still on the technology side. We're still very much focused on learning about and making the time to test new technologies. But what's happening in the academic world and what's sort of having a moment, I would say, in terms of the number of books being published and so on, and some of the authors and how famous they've become, whether it's Nudge, whether it's some of the other sort of more Mm -hmm. famous books that people may have heard of. But that's, I think, what's the main driver for me is bringing the academic side of marketing to prop tech. And I think that's what's most exciting.
1: Yeah, this has been really like, I think you've given us a ton of wisdom and I really appreciate the combination of like kind of mindset and philosophy behind it, but also the practical knowledge, especially with like building that offer. That's really smart. Thanks so much for the conversation. This has been awesome. Um, I know prescriptive data is going to be a green build soon, right? You want to talk about what people can do to connect with you either there or
0: online? No, absolutely. So our website is prescriptivedata.io. Feel free also to reach out to us. Um, We're on pretty much all the social media channels at Prescriptive Data, and we'll be at Green Build uh, 2023, which is a real estate sustainability event in Washington, D.C., September 26th through 28th. My last sort of real recommendation for everyone as well, beyond stopping by and saying hello to us, is if you're going to check out behavioral science i think a book that came out this year that will get people pretty excited is for the culture by marcus collins
1: cool check that out yeah you've given a ton of uh recommendations here i need to check out some of these books familiar with some of them but not all of them they sound amazing
0: no absolutely and i have a whole bookcase more more recommendations so <laughs> once you get started i'm happy to recommend them recommend more
1: awesome thanks for coming on gary
0: no of course Thanks for listening to Arguments with Words, the mortgage and prop tech branding podcast. To learn more about Neil, connect with him on LinkedIn or visit neilhelsberg.com.